in the UK in the last 30 years, we became obsessed by uh, children's safety. And, you know, and that was, you know, for legitimate reasons. There were some very high profile cases. Um, but actually, we're overprotecting children. We're, we, you know, we're wrapping children in cotton wool. Um, you know, the UK is bottom of the UN child welfare league table um not because we're harming children but we're overprotecting children you know we're, we're not giving them the freedom within their childhood uh, that they're experiencing in in many other countries particularly scandinavian countries where, where they understand that importance Welcome to the Wild Minds podcast for people interested in health, nature-based therapy and learning. We explore cutting-edge approaches that help us improve our relationship with ourselves, others and the natural world. My name is Marina Robb. I'm an author, entrepreneur, forest school, outdoor learning and nature-based trainer and consultant and pioneer in developing green programs for the health service in the UK. listening to episode 17, Navigating Risk and Adventure Playgrounds. Welcome back to season three. Thank you to all my listeners from around the world. I have some great conversations lined up for you this season. We'll be covering adventure playgrounds, democratic education, decolonization and reframing Darwin's evolutionary theory, as well as a special podcast on spirituality for Christmas Day. It's going to be a good season. For this episode, my guest today is Tom Williams, the founder and co-director of Woodland Tribe and also the business and service development manager at Eastside Community Trust in Bristol. Tom has been a tireless advocate for adventure play throughout his life. We're going to dive into the long history of adventure playgrounds and how attitudes to risk have changed over the last 40 years. This is a passionate conversation that helped me to imagine a society we could create. It made me think about how freedom and responsibility are both necessary and lead to huge personal and collective benefits, as well as the real struggles of running a charity and getting insurance for more risky experiences. Welcome to Wild Minds. I'm really happy to be speaking to you, Tom Williams, because I've been thinking for quite a long time about adventure playgrounds and all kinds of things. So I'm really excited to have you on the show and thank you for coming and giving up your time in such a busy period. Oh, yeah, it's lovely to be here. Um, and yeah, looking forward to a interesting conversation. Yeah, thank you. Um, I always like to start with gratitude. So I'm going to kick off and I was thinking about our conversation that we're going to have. And I wanted to say, actually, I'm really grateful for periods in my life where I've been able to have this feeling of freedom, where I felt like I didn't have to just show up somewhere at, you know, seven in the morning or nine in the morning, and I could actually have time off and out and 
Yeah. And, I, and I'm really grateful for that because I recognize that not everybody's had that opportunity. And I, and, I, and I got that opportunity quite a few times in my 20s, particularly. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I think that's going to have a bearing on this conversation a little bit. So how about you? You've got any gratitude for us? I don't, yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. The kind of concept of freedom, particularly in childhood, uh, is something that I've been thinking about a lot uh, recently. Um, and how the word freedom has been kind of hijacked a little bit by the kind of libertarian right. Um, and how we can, yeah, particularly when it comes to children, how we can kind of, you know, reposition freedom for what it means, you know, to many of us, you know, you, you know, lots of values important for children to be free and have the freedom to do what they want in their childhood because it's very short yeah. Uh, so yeah that's 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 what I'm thinking about have you got any gratitude though and in this moment for yourself or for anything I'm kind of like thankful for being really busy uh, and, you know, lots of people interested in Woodland Tribe um, and we are in the middle of our, you know, really uh, busy season uh, of the year. And, and yeah, and we just get so much kind of, you know, amazing feedback from children, particularly children um, at all the events that we've been in. And, and they're kind of their gratitude for what we're doing for them and our gratitude for letting them, letting up, you know, them letting, uh, sharing that kind of experience that they're having with us. Um, yeah. yeah, gratitude is overflowing in that situation. Thank you. Well, that's a good place to jump in I think because one of the reasons why I got in contact with you is because I in the last few years have been kind of going to some festivals or I have colleagues that have told me about Woodland Tribe actually and what what my direct experiences I've, I've been outdoors and I've come across these incredible um, spaces where I, I, I end up looking and seeing like children and adults with saws and um, hammers and nails. And I think this was your word, but I'm going to steal it. Shonky, shonky kind of uh, a built, not, not building because it's made out of wood, isn't it? Reclaimed and recycled wood. And I'm thinking, wow, this looks this looks really exciting, but it also looks a little bit dangerous. But So before we jump in, I, I, what what is Woodland Tribe, I guess, and, and what are you doing in those spaces? Just tell us a little bit about that. And I imagine that might lead us on to a bit about Adventure Playgrounds, which I'd also be really interested to find out about. And I don't think a lot of people know about that either. So, yeah, what is this Woodland Tribe thing when I come across it? <laughs> Uh, so Woodland Tribe is just about to celebrate its 10th birthday at Shambhala. Um, it's an idea that I started uh, 10 years ago. Um, I'd worked on adventure playgrounds, managed adventure playgrounds, uh, was obsessive about adventure playgrounds, but I just felt it wasn't being kind of uh, broadcast to a wider audience. Um, so when Shambhala said to me we've got this wood but we don't know what to do with it I said oh I've had this idea for 20 years I don't know if it will work but I'd like to let 
you know, a hundred children be building all at the same time, and we'll need a huge quantity of wood. <laughs> and it's going back to the original philosophy of adventure playgrounds of of, of letting children build. Um, and so from there, ten years ago, it just really captured. Uh, you know, the public's imagination, the feedback we were getting was amazing. People, families saying, this is what we want in our lives, you know, mm. uh, whether it's compensatory for kind of digital culture, but that kind of hands-on creating and freedom, actually, freedom to do whatever they build, whatever they wanted within the space was really important. Mm. And we kind of went from there 10 years ago to, uh, you know, maybe our har har hiatus at the Tate Modern Turbine Hall last Easter, where 14,000 children came and built, you know, adventure playground structures uh, over the course of um, 18 days. And, and And what we're trying to do with Woodland Tribe is promote adventure play as a popular culture right. in the UK. We want adventure play and adventure playgrounds to be as popular as Forest School, to yeah. kind of um, use an example. Um, and, and that is our mission. Uh, and so, you know, we're trying to protect the existing adventure playgrounds and support them that are disappearing all the time. Uh, you know, we had over 300 in the UK uh, 20 years ago. We're probably down to about 80 or 90 now. So, okay. so you know, and, and nobody knows about them. They're tucked away in inner cities. Nobody knows about adventure playgrounds. Nobody knows about adventure play. And yet it is this kind of worldwide movement that's been going for 80 years. Um, so that is Woodland Tribe's mission, to promote yeah. adventure play to a wider audience. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think flavour of the last few years is definitely seems, at least in my echo chamber in my world, is about forest school. And, and I agree. I don't think a lot of people know about Adventure Playgrounds, though, as you said, it's been going on for so long. So why... Why do you think so? Why do you think it's so important? I mean, that, that's another big question. But before I go there, I, I wanted to kind of go back to that image of me seeing these children with saws and making things and actually this ideal of wildness. After all, this podcast is called <laughs> The Wild Mind Podcast. And I, and I think from a lay person, I'm looking on that scene, even though I love this sense of you know being able to use my hands being able to use perhaps dangerous tools and so on but but there was a sense of wildness and i guess this world gets word gets misused a lot right so what do you think about what what is it is it wild are these children wild are they expressing something innate that needs to be expressed what 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 do you think about that I think there's definitely an element of wildness about, you know, the the building that they do and 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 we encourage that. I, I mean, a lot of people ask us about the name and you know, I created the name for Shambhala for a festival area, but um, the reason it's called Woodland is because it was based in a woodland and mm. woodlands are great places for children to play. Mm. Um the word tribe is like a tribal view of childhood, which is a kind of socio-cultural perspective 
within academic circles on uh, on childhood. And and the tribal view of childhood is very much kind of like Lord of the Flies. It's those children on the other side of the railway railway line playing without adults in attendance. Mm. You know, within that kind of concept of a childhood where children are in control, where 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 adults are there. Some people might say that's wild. I, I, I don't think that's wild. You know, I think it's giving children freedom and creativity. Um, I mean, the other thing to say is that children are incredibly careful. Mm. Uh, they're incredibly good at making risk assessments mm. themselves. When you give them the responsibility of tools to build, um, you know, they take that responsibility very seriously. And, and, you know, they're, they're almost kind of more careful than us. They're putting in the kind of safety rails that we don't think are necessary. Mm. Um, and then, you know, and then I think the kind of the third thing is that there's this affordance. When you let children build their own playground, when you let children build their own space, there's this thing called affordance, which, again, is an, is a, is an academic term, and it's an emotional attachment to space. And, and when you let children build that space, that affordance is amplified, mm. like, beyond measure. Um, children don't want to leave the space because they have this emotional attachment to that. And, you know, and, and that is something that I don't see, you know, in mainstream society, you know, that, um, you know, children having that strong emotional attachment to space. I see it on adventure playgrounds, but mm. nobody knows about them, you know. Mm. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, some people might think it's wild. Uh, and, and there is, you know, an, ele an element of kind of uh, giving children freedom. Uh, but there are so many benefits from that process that we don't necessarily understand or are, 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 are thinking through as a society when we let children do those things? Yeah, well, because I listened to some of the feedback from young people uh, on a video that I'm going to put in the show notes that that was all about Felix Road, which is another, which is an adventure playground that I understand that you're closely connected with um, in Bristol. And they were saying things like, I can express myself. I, I I feel free. I feel this is a community space. I get to decide what I do. Um, I can come here when I need to. I, I, I'm releasing energy. You know, different people were saying different things, and I I had a real strong sense of the multiple benefits um, that they were speaking to. That that is that I couldn't imagine they would have that anywhere else and also seeing images and this is only I only looked at it this week but images of um I think it was some a Arabic music and these young people bringing their their speakers and dancing and having a laugh and other people from different ages different backgrounds kind of joining in and then they were sharing food and yeah I was I was actually quite um, emotional, as I often am when I when I think about these things, because I felt it was, well, it's just very unusual to see that those kinds of spaces and 
and also that idea of ownership that you said, ownership, inclusion, welcoming, bringing all those parts of ourselves. And yeah, you also, also I saw things like that they are, they might have a fallout or they might, you know, of course argue, but then they'll solve it, you know? So there's a lot in, in that, that for the first time you might think, oh, that's wild. What are they? And again, we could we could we could go under and think, oh, what is wild? But but I'm still, you know, that thing when we see things for the first time, we we don't really get a chance to look under and actually see almost like the the the, the, the multiple string strings, if you like, or ropes that are um, being pulled that have multiple effects that are really something else actually yeah no i totally agree there there is so much kind of complexity going on within an adventure playground and and felix road that i've managed for 25 years is just such a great example of an adventure playground in 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 so many different ways and you know if you have a socio-cultural view of childhood you see play as children's culture mm. in the kind of broad sense and so when children are kind of playing an adventure playground they are producing and consuming their own culture and and if you just see it in that very kind of like broad way almost anything is possible you know you know an adventure playground becomes a place of possibility for children uh, to express themselves and to be kind of cultural beings. And, and yeah, that, that is why adventure playgrounds are so unique, I think, um, within society. Ever felt unsure about writing risk-benefit assessments for outdoor sessions? You're not alone. It's a crucial legal requirement that many overlook, leaving them uncertain and unsure about risk. But imagine having the confidence and competence to navigate this seamlessly. That's where I come in. So head to theoutdoorteacher.com slash risk to sign up now and master risk benefit assessments with ease. And lastly, if you're based in the UK, why not immerse yourself in nature with one of my transformative trainings in the beautiful landscapes of Sussex? Discover more about our in-person courses at circleofliferediscovery.com. But I often try and ask that question, why is that, why is that important in this day and age that they have possibility, that they have imagination? And I obviously have my own thoughts about that. Would you speak to that? Why in your 40 years experience of being part of this movement, and it doesn't sound like you're slowing down, <laughs> what, 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 what is, why, why really do you think, name some of the things that may not be so obvious to me, to listeners, why, why, why are these things important? I mean, they're so important for so many reasons. And, you know, I've, I've talked about culture. I could talk about community. You know, adventure playgrounds are sited within a community. They reflect the community that they're, they're in. You know, they are a place where community come together, not just children, mm. but, you know, uh, adults and, and people of all ages. Um, Within inner cities, you know, uh, there are theories within kind of play and childhood that adventure playgrounds are compensatory. You know, they're compensatory spaces for, 
you know, the kind of experiences I had as a child growing up in the countryside where I could make a fire or build a treehouse, you know, adventure playgrounds are providing that kind of purpose for children in, in a city environment. <laughs> you know, there are so many different kind of paradigms. You know, some people say that they're diversionary, you know, they're diverting children and young people away from kind of antisocial or unaccept- unacceptable behavior. Uh, they, they can be kind of like transitionary spaces from, you know, primary to secondary school because the majority of children who go to adventure playgrounds are in that transition. They're going out to play on their own without their parents uh, for the first time. You know, so the the kind of the, the benefits of adventure playgrounds and like play as a whole are so complex and you know the outcomes are so uh there's so many outcomes but there is there is a theory within the kind of uh, the play sector that as soon as you start to try and measure children's play you're actually you know uh starting to kind of affect it and and it and it doesn't become the thing that you know, uh, that the children want it to be. And, you know, and so it's getting that kind of fine balance, you know, between uh, freedom, creativity, uh, as well as the same time kind of demonstrating impact and, and, and you know, and thinking about why, why these spaces are so important to us. Yeah. I guess I'm always going to be asking the why because I think when you're in it, it can feel really obvious um but i think knowing how like they ha- well they have um diminished haven't they there are less of them so somebody somewhere or groups of people probably to do with our political situation and different understandings have said well actually that's not valuable you know so some somewhere and and there's going to be reasons for that um it has diminished and i think it's important to capture as much as we can an understanding of why play why these spaces uh are so important and why we should all be supporting them you know and i guess for me when when because you say places of possibility and because i'm quite interested in the psychology uh of humans um, that word possibility seems so important that creative potential that idea especially uh, as we're living in so many crises of after crises this idea that if we can imagine ha- the possibility for me seems to be an opening for imagination that we can imagine something about ourselves or about the world we want to live in that's different and again when you describe what adventures uh, playgrounds uh, provide but also those images from that video which again I will share I thought this is huge because we would get fed so much doom and and not even just fed, you know, so many people or so many moments in our lives, we experience that. So to have spaces and the imagination that things, ca- we can co-create, we can come together and do something that's beyond our our wildest dreams you know, is possible the possibility feels really really important because otherwise i feel we are stuck in this box and we only ever can create from our past if you know what i mean the the 
the, the, and, and so I think it's I think it's there's loads of things. A lot of people talk about the sound of Woodland Tribe, the sound of 50 (laughs) children all hammering nails at the same time is a wonderful sound. And and so many people comment on it. You know, if if we're at a festival, we might be in a woodland on the festival site and you can just hear this kind of chink, 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 constant going on all day. It sounds like kind of children are mining or, for something and you know and I think that sound is just you know like a really positive sound of you know children you know Mm. making stuff Mm. yeah exactly (laughs) with with no kind of like uh you know with no kind of outcome except for their own kind of enjoyment in the here and now and 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 that is really important and you know and we're very we very much believe in the kind of temporary nature of adventure playgrounds that they can they're, they're constantly changing um and and with woodland tribe we're there for a weekend and then we're gone and and temporary is good because it means it can evolve it can change whereas permanence becomes fixed and rigid and and doesn't change yeah and it doesn't reflect life as well because things do change we keep constantly trying to fix things and believe that we're fixed both in our thinking in our everything that we do isn't it and in the in modernity if you like but actually we're being shown time and time again that life is very uncertain and how do we move with that Actually, that's that's interesting, you know, because my 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 tutors on my MA in kind of play and childhood, you know, talked about how uncertainty, the concept of uncertainty within play is so important. You know, Mm. play is all about uncertainty. It's all about what if moments. What if we build a castle? What Mm. if there is a dragon in the castle? What if that dragon is a friendly dragon? You know, and so when children are playing, they're playing with uncertainty and embracing uncertainty. Adults seem to struggle with uncertainty um, and 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 want to kind of you know you know take that out and control. Yeah, but if you see uncertainty as a really you know beneficial thing and and a playful thing, then 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 it's really good. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's. We can. I know we could talk for so much, so long, and so, yeah, so many hours about this. But um, we have a situation where there are not many adventure playgrounds. Um, there are also very few um, opportunities for children to play without being directed in some way. So, what? What? Why do you think that is? I mean, I know because you've got forty years of experience, you've. So you would have seen changes over time. Um, what do you think are some of the key drivers that are, that are that are, I suppose, making it harder to enable this to happen? What, what do you think are some of them? I, I think in the uh, in the UK in the last thirty years, we became obsessed by uh, children's safety, and you know, and that was you know for legitimate reasons. There were some very high profile cases, um, but actually, we're overprotecting children. We're wow. we, you know we're wrapping children in cotton wool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the UK is bottom of the UN child welfare 
league table, um, not because we're harming children, but we're overprotecting children. You know, we're, we're not giving them the freedom within their childhood uh, that they're experiencing in, in many other countries, particularly Scandinavian countries, where, where they understand that importance um, right. of freedom within childhood. And so this kind of obsession with not, you know, keeping your children safe, protecting them from harm is actually uh, harming them. Um, And so, you know, I think Adventure Playgrounds and Woodland Tribe, you know, we're trying to push back uh, that kind of that health and safety gone mad uh, approach to uh, children, Mm. um, you know, to give them those opportunities to take risks that are beneficial. Mm. um, And... Yeah, I think a lot of people understand that and appreciate it, but we're fighting against, you know, uh, some, you know, very powerful forces that are trying to, you know, uh, push the other way. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that a little bit, because um, I always advocate in health and safety um, that I always say, oh, look, everyone, go and look at the health and safety executive because they've got a lovely quote, haven't they, about let's not wrap up our children in cotton wool. Actually, you know, risk is good. So this is our health and safety kind of governing body of the UK. And yet there are these forces. So what 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 are some of those forces? And um, let's give some examples of that because I actually think we need to talk about this because uh, – if these are serious barriers for something that we need to have in our society, we need to have for children, for ourselves, for our well-being, for all the millions of reasons that we haven't even been able to talk about. Yeah, what you know, what what speak to that a little bit. I think lots of people are understanding this and things have got better in the last 10 years. There is a greater understanding uh around risk and benefit. Mm. Um, But uh, I think insurance companies in particular, who are a very important part of society, who are a very important part of the kind of play sector, uh, do struggle with that kind of concept of Mm. risk and benefit. Um, And I think they're struggling so much that you cannot predict... uh, uh what their view is going to be on something that you want children to do sometimes they come down in favor sometimes they come down against you know and that that is not helpful and you know there are so many other kind of different sectors that involve risk it's not just the play sector it's not just the adventure playground sector it's not just forest schools you know if we think about the importance of risk in our lives uh when we go horse riding uh skiing uh canoeing rock climbing you know uh i could name so many playing rugby playing sport there are so many kind of like risky activities that are really important to us as a society but some we recognize as being acceptable risk and some we recognize as being unacceptable risk. Mm. And so, you know, some might say giving children hammers and saws is unacceptable risk, that we shouldn't be doing that, um, but would be absolutely fine with with a child sliding down a mountain on a pair of skis. Um, 
and you know, and so a kind of nuanced understanding of risk, benefit, safety, uh, the importance of these things in our lives mm. is we need to have that conversation as a society, and that includes government, it includes insurance companies, it, it includes professional sectors, and and we've come a long way. Um, from where we were maybe 15 years ago when it when it felt like we were just going oh completely in the wrong direction and mm. and overprotecting our children yeah I've, i well i've got some figures for you <laughs> because i did a bit of research because as you know from a previous conversation i am concerned about insurance and how the cost of insurance um can make it really prohibitive for so many people offering services um, uh, experiences for young people. So I just, because because of that, I, I wanted to say that, um, so I found out that last year, 57 people died skiing and snowboarding and of car fatalities, 1,695 people died in 2022. And, and I, you know, I, I looked into this a bit and because I, I really wanted to see, okay, what are some of the stats, right? And at the same time, uh, I'm part of um, a forest school trainers network, and um, there's some nice links, which one of the which I'll put on the show notes as well about what are some of the accidents in our kind of sector. We're in a similar sector, right? With whether it's forest schools, out, outdoor stuff, outdoor learning, and adventure playgrounds, and very few accidents have actually occurred in terms of forest schools it's it's somebody was burnt by kelly kettles 10 years ago okay now i know that we are paying a lot of money for our insurance right not i mean you know fair enough to some degree but not as much as you guys are paying in the adventure playground now am i right that there's some you know you could be paying as much as twelve thousand pounds a year to run an adventure playground is, is that right or am i exaggerating that no that's what we're currently paying and uh at felix road and um yeah, I mean, you know, I could give you statistics for uh, accidents and fatalities on adventure playgrounds. They're virtually non-existent. You know, the the accidents that take place are far less than the accidents that take place in parks, uh, playgrounds. Because the reason is that you have uh, qualified play workers there supervising the children and, and you know, carrying out that kind of risk-benefit process. So, yeah, sure, children are taking kind of more risks, but it's in a managed way, uh, you know, where there are lots of other environments that aren't managed, uh, where children, you know, might take unacceptable risks. And yet it is the kind of, you know, it's, it's places like Adventure Playgrounds that have that good record that uh, are being charged extortionate, you know, insurance rates and are being closed down quite often for, you know, supposed health and safety reasons. Um, And, you know, and so, you know, a a good friend of mine talked about it in terms of uh, class, you know, that uh, middle class and upper class children are allowed to take risks. They are allowed to go skiing uh, and ride horses, uh, whereas 
children in inner cities um, are not allowed to build their own play space. You know, what kind of a society are we living in where you know where there, there is a disparity between uh between children i'm shocked i mean i'm i am shocked and i i'm i am speechless at the same time although i'm not one to not talk so <laughs> that's not entirely true but i am i am genuinely shocked because you have to be told that you have to be you know someone has to give you that information to really allow a moment of ref- a thought about what you've just said, you know, or what we've just shared is that £12,000 for an adventure playground in Bristol. You can go skiing and pay, what is it, £150 insurance, maybe 250 I don't know. Yeah. Wow. And how on earth, I run a community, community interest company as you do, and, and I know you, you're manager of a, a trust which, which provides this adventure playground. These are vol- this is the voluntary sector, right? Charitable sector that has to raise money to pay that to the insurers. And you've been incredibly generous, uh, Tom, to kind of say, you know, it's a misunderstanding and it's about education. Uh, and, you know, I didn't exactly say that, but, but I, I think that is generous. And I think fair enough, we need to come to the table. Absolutely. And we need to be having these conversations. And there are people that it is, perhaps more ignorance rather than intention but this is this is completely unacceptable from my you know how it's unacceptable and it's not a society that i think a lot of people out there because i think most people out there do want a fairer society actually but we just don't feel very empowered right <laughs> but so i don't think a lot of people out there i think a lot of people out there will be very very shocked that you are providing a service and you are having to find funds to pay insurers. I'm, I'm shocked. I, I, I had one insurance company, and I'm not going to name them no, because I might, have no. to, I might have to go back to them at some point. <laughs> but they, they, they compared the adventure playground movement to fish and chip shops. They said both facilities are high risk. Uh, and so they get passed around the insurance companies. Um, and, you know that that's just mm. ridiculous. You yeah. know we don't, we don't have burning hot fat on mm. adventure playgrounds. Children are just playing. Mm. Um, you know, which is mm. you know their right to do. Yeah. And it, it feels like insurance companies are actually denying children their right to play. Mm. Uh, by being overprotective because they're still stuck in this dominant paradigm of, you know, children need to be protected. Mm. And, that, and I guess it comes back to that question again about, well, what's the risk if we don't let children play, if we don't support these spaces? What is the bigger risk? And I hear that in education. I hear that in health. You know, what's the, yeah, what's the, what's the alternative? Well, we're living a little bit of the alternative, but, but what, what happens when we don't provide these spaces? And everyone knows that your health is compromised. You know, physical movement is essential for health. Millions and millions and millions of people out there are ill because they don't move enough, right? So here you've got a situation, we've got adventure playgrounds. You could, you could justify it simply on the savings of health. 
<laughs> you know, let alone let alone anything else, right? And again, we didn't really go there. So, so I do get fired up, and I and I do think it's unacceptable. And I also think that I hope that there are people out there that can take that on and fight that corner. Because I also want to name that when you're in the voluntary or charitable sector, you don't have the energy. You can't do it all. Do you know what I mean? You can't fight all these corners. It's, it's, it's already enough to be trying to fundraise to provide a service, let alone have to go out and be, you know, an advocate. And so, yes, we need to we need to have help, don't we? We need help. Yeah. So the work that Tim Gill and mm. Dr. David Ball did on risk benefit uh, in around about kind of 2003, 2005, I think it was that when they wrote the kind of uh, risk benefit documents and they got Queen's Council uh, and, and their argument at the time was that this, they said, health and safety executive is comparing a playground to a factory. Uh, and, you know, implementing the same health and safety guidelines that you would have in a factory on a playground. Uh, if you took a wobbly bridge and you put it into a factory, this was their argument, it would be completely inappropriate. You don't want a wobbly bridge in a factory. Put a wobbly bridge on a playground and it becomes this, you know, this great plaything that children can play with. And so it's completely appropriate to have a wobbly bridge uh, on a playground. And so let's stop looking and comparing the two facilities as though we can kind of manage them in the same way. Let's be more nuanced in our understanding of children's safety. Let's give them opportunities to, to take acceptable risk. Well, yeah, acceptable risk. It's it's a great word, isn't it? Because again, in the psycho in the psychology under, understanding that I haven't even said that right, you know, you need to go to the edge of your comfort zone to learn. You need to go to the edge to 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 be able to um, experience new things and know that you can. And and people want confident children. People want. Um, uh, independence and all these things and creative thinking and problem solving, but you can't have any of that if you don't go to that edge. And that edge will be different for different people at different times in their lives and different moments, and and that changes. and And I guess I want to before because because before we have to end, which is not it's too soon already, but um, I do want to think about the role of the adult because. <clears throat> I'm interested that you actually did say, um, you know, hang on, these people are qualified uh, play workers and, you know, I'm also involved in qualified forest school practitioners. But there, I want to just ask a little bit more about that because I know that there is an issue as well when we over-professionalise something. Um, and I just want, if you wouldn't mind, just speaking a little bit about how you see that what are some of the issues you see around around that as well? I, I think that the the play sector, you know, what I've seen, how it developed in the last for forty years, it did go down a uh, a professional route, and you know that was linked predominantly to childcare, to after school clubs, and to holiday play schemes. Um, and you know, I think that was at the detriment of playwork, and you know, and uh, the playwork principles, and um, 
and I think a similar thing happened within the youth sector as well, you know. And so a lot of the people who I saw get into adventure playgrounds or get into youth work because they had, you know, a natural ability uh, and that they wanted to work in their community and community was really important to them, you know, they then got pushed into doing qualifications that, you know, it's debatable whether it actually sort of benefited um, their practice and and the communities that they were working in. Um, having said all of that, there was a really, you know, I think there was there was an important phase, um, you know, under the last Labour government where we started talking about Every Child Matters and, and that agenda where Playwork suddenly became recognised for the first time and, you know, put on a kind of equal footing with social work, teaching um, and, and and youth work as well. Um, and, you know, and so if you kind of compare the kind of the, the systems that we have in the UK around playwork and youth work, and teaching and social work and compare them with the, you know, the the more sort of pedagogical approaches in Scandinavia where people do a much longer qualification and they have a greater understanding of childhood. Um, And it's, you know, it's, it's pros and cons and, and, you know, helping children kind of navigate that. Um, Yeah. We're a long way behind definitely in the UK because uh, play work, became a you know a profession to look after children that benefits adults you know it doesn't particularly benefit children it, you know it might do in in small moments but you know child care is predominantly you know quite rightly or you know i'm not i'm not saying uh, child care is wrong child care is really important so that parents can go to work and pay taxes and those taxes can pay for adventure playgrounds that's that you know that, that is my kind of uh, take on it but um yeah the understanding kind of play childhood and and you know and children's rights within a kind of uh an economic you know system that works for us as a society that benefits both parents and children and there is that balance between having unique childhood experiences like woodland tribe and parents being able to go to work I actually think that's two different professions, maybe. You know, childcare is different from, you know, a play worker working on an adventure playground. Um, but, you know, the, the ideal would be like highly trained professionals who could uh, understand all of that. Um, uh, but, yeah, then, then the other thing is about, you know, adults within. Uh, uh, playgrounds or adventure playgrounds and the role of parents um, and we we always really like parents coming to Woodland Tribe uh, because they understand their children far better than we do um, you know they know what their kind of possibilities and limitations are you know so they can either kind of let them go and and, and set them free uh, or they quite rightly provide that safety net under them 
you know, that we we maybe don't understand. Um, and so that kind of co-production of adults, children, families, building their own kind of playground together um, is a beautiful thing. You know, it's, uh, as, uh, as Colin Ward said, it's like, you know, it's society in miniature going on uh, within a space. And, yeah, we don't want to push adults away. You know, uh, we don't want to segregate children. I'm, I'm not sure if I believe in that kind of children on the other side of the tracks playing on their own. Mm. I, I think as a society, it's important that, you know, uh, children and adults are, you know, interrelating and and doing things together. And, and families say to us, the great thing about Woodland Tribe is it is something that they can do as a whole family. We, we get the dads building the treehouse that they either did or didn't have in their childhood, mm. uh, dominating the build and taking all the wood. Um, but then mm. also, you know, we have... Um, quite young children really enjoying using tools uh, for the first time. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of um, advantages by having parents there because also you extend the relationship beyond that moment. So uh, first you get memories together. You also get, oh, well, why don't we get a, why don't we go and buy ourselves a hammer and nail and let's do that at home. And so you get all the benefits of it going back into either the family or into the everyday, the community, which I think is so valuable when you bring everybody together. And also it makes me think of the many times I've heard young people say, wow, I didn't realise adults have fun. <laughs> you know, adults can have fun. And 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 on and one level, it's like, yeah. But on the other level, it's like, I can look forward to that. Because every adult I see around me is either stressed, running around, you know, on their phone, da 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 And actually, you can actually hang out with me. We can have fun together. And we can, I guess, feel a connection, feel that we're part of something. And these are no small things, are they? They're really, really important things. It's, it's that switch moment, isn't it? You know, so when it snows, it's like someone turns a switch and we all have fun. When, when, when we're on the beach, uh, someone turns a switch and we all have fun. And there's a lot of building that's going on, you know, on the beach, making sandcastles, the dad with the big shovel, like digging that canal across the beach. You know, who's turning that switch? Who's giving them permission to do that in those environments? And mm. and a lot of people say about Woodland Tribe um, is that we're holding that space. We're giving them the permission to do those things that they may be a bit more nervous about doing, you know, in their everyday lives at mm. home. But the ideal scenario for us is when a child doesn't want to leave the space you know, mum or dad says, don't worry, we'll do this when we go home. We know we know now that this is okay, that we can do this. Mm. And, and so it carries on. Yeah. I mean, you did say to me um, before, not in this uh, talk, that you've seen a kind of generational split, that those that are over 40 kind of got it, had it. And I've spoken about that before on this podcast, you know, my memory of playing on the wreck, right? And nobody was around and, and so on. But at the same time, those under 40 have had less and less and less experiences. So are more frightened, you know, and um, of course, this is not everybody. 
Um, but it is it is a common thing that we see. So I wonder, um, yeah, if you if we're building a society that is remembering and valuing and creating these spaces, what what kind of um, image do you think you could leave us with of what that might look like? Like if you, and I'm not, oh God, I said this before. I remember on another podcast where I said, oh, if you had the power, would you, what would you do? And actually I realized that's rubbish because we don't want to have the power. We want to code, we want to do it out of what happens, right? But what, what images can you give us as a listener as to, yeah, what would you like to see happening? So... Quentin Blake, uh, the children's illustrator who, you know, did the drawings for all the Royal Doll books. You know, everyone knows Quentin Blake. He was a friend of my mum's at university, so he drew our first logo for us. Um, I often talk about this, that, you know, Quentin Blake's drawings depict this kind of childhood uh, that is very much around kind of adventure play. And, and, And the books that he's collaborated on or written himself you know, are about those unique childhood experiences that children have. His drawings are everywhere. They're on birthday cards. You know, if 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 as a society we kind of actually embraced his drawings and said, we don't just want them on cards and in books, we want actual that in reality – you know, in our neighbourhoods, in our communities, we want spaces that feel have been drawn by Quentin Blake. We would live in a completely different society. Mm. Uh, That's what I would like to see. Oh, I love that. And I'm going to make sure I have a look at some of these images and uh yeah and and yeah thanks again for your time and we're going to put uh, on the show notes links to your websites and i really hope people out there go and have a look and discover more and support you and support this greater movement you know that we're we're all part of so thanks tom really appreciate your time thank you marina it's been an absolute pleasure Thanks for speaking to me, Tom. Join me next week for episode 18, when I'll discuss more about the importance of risk in our lives. And I hope to challenge our thinking. Do let me know if there are any themes you'd like me to talk about. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wild Minds podcast. If you enjoyed it and want to help support this podcast, please subscribe, share and leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Your review will help others find the show. To stay updated with the Wild Minds podcast and get all the behind the scenes content, you can visit theoutdoorteacher.com or follow me on Facebook at The Outdoor Teacher UK and LinkedIn, Marina Robb. The music was written and performed by Jeff Robb. See you next week, same time, same place. Are you curious about the guitar music in my podcast? It's actually my husband, Jeff Robb. 
He's taking his woodland-inspired show, The Music of Trees, on tour in England and Wales this May, June and July. Get tickets at jeffrobb.com slash shows. Mm-hmm.